You're listening to the Clergy Chick Podcast. My name is Rhonda Blevins. I'm the Clergy Chick. From October the 18th, 2020, at Chapel by the Sea in Clearwater Beach, Florida, the texts are Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 10 through 19, and selected verses from Matthew chapter 6. The lover of money will not be satisfied with money, nor the lover of wealth with gain. This also is vanity. When goods increase, those who eat them increase. And what gain has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of laborers, whether they eat little or much, but the surfeit of the rich will not let them sleep. There's a grievous ill that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owners to their hurt. Those riches were lost in a bad venture. Though they are parents of children, they have nothing in their hands. And as they came from their mother's womb, so they shall go again, naked as they came. They shall take nothing for their toil, which they may carry away with their hands. This also is a grievous ill. Just as they came, so shall they go. And what gain do they have from their toiling for the wind? Besides, all their days they eat in darkness, in much much vexation and sickness and resentment. This is what I have seen to be good. It is fitting to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of the life God gives us, for this is our lot. Likewise, all to whom God gives wealth and possessions and whom he enables to enjoy them and to accept their lot and find enjoyment in their toil, this is the gift of God. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The Tale of Two Men, a mostly true story. The first man, his name is Jack. And Jack was born, he was the apple of his mother's eye. Jack uh, went through high school, and the worst day of his mother's life was the day that Jack was drafted to serve in the Vietnam War. And Jack went off to war, and he came home, but... He was different when he got home. PTSD. He got married and got a job, and that trauma from the war just kind of hung with him, you know? And so to 
kind of assuaged the trauma, he turned to alcohol, and the alcohol started to turn on him, if you know what I mean. He lost his wife, couldn't hold down a job, and so Jack eventually pushed everybody in his life away from him and ended up on the streets of Atlanta, Georgia, homeless, chronically. And Jack, being no dummy, figured out a way to live on the streets. And one day, he decided to, uh, to panhandle outside the faith church there in Atlanta as the people were coming out of church. And so he was, he was begging there, and the people coming out of church were filled up with religion, you know? They were just leaving church, and maybe they wanted to impress their church friends. And so Jack made a pretty good living that day, asking from the church people as they left the church building. So Jack came back the next Sunday. And the church people, again, were generous. And this happened, I don't know, three or four Sundays, and the church people befriended Jack, and they asked Jack to come to worship with them. And to their surprise, Jack showed up one Sunday morning to worship, and he kept showing up to worship, and Jack joined that church. This is the story of Jack. The other story is the story of a guy named John. John was born the apple of his mother's eye. And John was about the same age as Jack, but somehow John avoided the draft, and John went off to college where he majored in business. And right out of college, he got married and started a business, and, and that business took off. And John became very successful with this business, and John made a ton of money with this business. And so by the time John was able to retire, he had a beautiful house on the lake, he had a fancy boat in the dock. He had about three luxury cars in his three-car garage. He had a vacation home in Florida on the water overlooking the Gulf of Mexico. He had a bunch of stamps in his passport where he and his wife had traveled all over the world just for fun. This is the story of John. Now let me ask you a question. Two men, two stories. Which of these men do you think is thriving financially? All right, you have an answer? Hold on to that for just a minute. Today we uh, turn to a, a final uh, episode in our Thrive series about financial well-being. You know, we've been at this for six weeks. We looked at physical well-being, emotional well-being, uh, social well-being, intellectual well-being, and I'm forgetting one. Uh, and now today we're on financial well-being. And what does this mean to have financial well-being? What does it mean to financially thrive? Well, you may have heard it said that Jesus talked about money more than he talked about any other topic. Have you ever heard a preacher say that? Oftentimes during stewardship season or something like that. Jesus talked about money more than Jesus talked about anything else. And that is actually partially true, but not fully true. You see, out of the 11 of 39 parables or stories that Jesus told, uh, 11 out of those 39 dealt in some form or fashion with money. And in those parables, one out of every seven verses dealt with money. 
But it's only partially true that Jesus spoke about money more than any other topic because sometimes in those parables, money was used as an illustration because it was something everybody could relate to in that day. Just like you and I can relate to that in this day. Everybody understands what it means to deal with money. But when it came to the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, we, we turn to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus deals explicitly with money. It's not used as an illustration, but it is actually a teaching on money. He says, No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted in one or despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth, he said in the Sermon on the Mount. Another translation says, You cannot serve both God and money. And then, right after that, Jesus turns uh, to talking about worry. Because apparently, the folks in that day worried about money, just like you and I may worry about money. There's a story about a guy named Joe, and Joe was a, oh, he was a big worrier, always kind of had that worried look on his face, his posture, you know, was kind of uh, inward, he's just always just worried. Everybody called him Black Cloud because he walked around as if there was a black cloud hanging over his head. Even his best buddies would kind of laugh behind his back about how he was always so worried. But one day, his friend Bill saw Joe, and Joe was Standing up straight, he had a big smile on his face and not a care in the world. And kind of everybody noticed that Joe, something's different about Joe's like happy. What's different about Joe? And so Bill decided to ask him one day. He said, Joe, are you, man, you look great. What's something different here about you, Joe? And Joe said, you know, I've lived my whole life kind of worried and, and concerned and nervous. And I, I decided it wasn't good for my health. And I didn't want to live that way any longer. So... I decided to hire someone to do my worrying for me. Bill said, really? That's, that's interesting. Well, Joe, how much, how much do you pay that guy that does your worrying for you? And Joe said, I pay him $1,000 a week. And Bill was like, what? $1,000 a week? Joe, how, how in the world can you afford $1,000 a week to pay that guy? And and Joe kind of smiled, and he said, oh, that's his worry. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> when you think about financial well-being, maybe you're like me, and you think about what that means. You think, all right, to be financially well, you have to have a bunch of money in the bank. You have to have all the right insurance policies. You have to have all the right assets. You have to have a diversified portfolio. Right? You have to have all these things to be financially well in my mind, right? Maybe you're like me, that's what you think. But let me offer a countercultural idea today about what it means to be financially well. And here's two things that I believe what it means to be financially well through the lens of faith. That's why we're here, right? We're, we're trying to rewire our mind so that we're more in line with who God wants us to be. Here's what I believe about being financially well through the lens of faith. First of all, it's less about attaining money and more about your ambivalence toward money. It's less about how big your bank account is and more about how little you care about things like that. I'm going to let you think about that for a little bit. 
It's countercultural. Our culture, it, we live and, and breathe and have our being in this culture that tells us that our job in this world is to earn and spend and earn and spend and earn and spend. And we, we, we live in this culture and we earn and spend and earn and spend. We feel like we're caught up in this machine, like we're just a cog in the wheel. Earn and spend, earn and spend. Like a hamster, right? You've seen hamsters in a little wheel. That's, that's what our culture tells us we should be doing, earning and spending. But our culture makes an idol out of money, doesn't it? Pope Francis, several years ago, in talking to a group of about 20,000 people in Italy that had been in a part of the country that had been hit hard by a recession, Pope Francis uh, had listened to a guy talk about his joblessness and, and how he had experienced the loss of worth and, and self-worth. And here's what Pope Francis said. In this ethicsless system, there is an idol at the center, and the world has become the idolater of this money God. And then Francis called for a system, an economic system that values people over cash, people over profits. So that's Pope Francis. I think that was like about 10 years, I don't know, 8 or 10 years ago now that he, he said that. So do you ever feel like you're caught up in that, in that wheel, earn and spend, earn and spend? This is the American dream, right? It's been planted so deeply in us. So the, the American dream is to have the big house and the boat and the cars and, and the passport full of stamps and a little money, a lot of money, in fact, is the American dream, to spend on things you want whenever you want it. And some of you are, are living that dream. Some of you are living it. Some of us are, are dreaming the dream. And then to others, it's a, it's a pipe dream, isn't it? Let us not forget how difficult this pandemic has been on, on so many people, and maybe not you, but other people have lost their jobs. Uh, I read a report this week that 8 million people have fallen into poverty since May. 8 million people. And if you're one of those 8 million people who have fallen into poverty, this, uh, you know that something's not right. You know it, you feel it, you live it every day, and you're not thinking about thriving financially, you're thinking about surviving. You're concerned about putting food on your table, you're concerned about paying your rent or your mortgage, you're concerned about health and safety and well-being. You're concerned about surviving. Why do we still get this wrong? Why do so many people still live in poverty? When there is wisdom, ancient wisdom that we've had for at least 3,000 millennia, I'm going to read to you again what King Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes. King Solomon thought to be perhaps the wisest man to ever walk the planet. And here's what Solomon says, The lover of money will not be satisfied with money, nor the lover of wealth with gain. This is also, remember the word? vanity. Other translations say meaningless. It's all meaningless. Contemporary research, so that was 3,000 years ago, let's bring it up to today. What does contemporary research say about money and happiness? Well, there, have, there was a study, a famous study that came out of Princeton in the year 2000, uh, the year 2000, I believe it was, no, the year 2008, I think it was. You can check me on that. 
came out of Princeton, and they studied the relationship between happiness and money, and they, they discovered through their study that up to about the point of 75000 per person per year, that that your happiness increases with the growth in wealth, up to about the point of $75,000 per person. And then a more recent study that came out in uh, 2018 out of Purdue, I think is right, they determined that up to about the point of 105000 per person, after that, the happiness begins to decrease. And so that, that seems to be the sweet spot between 75000 and 105000 per person per year. And after that, you'll trickle off with your happiness. And some of you are like, you can try me. I'll, I'll t- <laughs> you can try me at that $105,000 per person. After that, the happiness just drops off. You see, we have to rewire our thinking about money. We have to retrain, reprogram our relationship with money because the system that we live in is, is not the system uh, that I think Jesus would, uh, would have us live, right? We're called to be countercultural as Christians. So how do we rewire our thinking? The simplest teaching on this, to me, is from John Wesley back in 1789. He wrote a sermon, and this is what he said. And it's so easy to remember. It's what John Wesley said. He said, earn all you can. Save all you can. Give all you can. Earn all you can. Save all you can. Give all you can. Here's the quote from Wesley. Money is an excellent gift of God answering the noblest ends in the hands of his children. It is food for the hungry, drink for the thirsty, raiment for the naked. I like that, raiment for the naked. Earn, save, and give. Our culture instills in us the first two, earn and save. That's what we're supposed to do, according to culture. The third one is countercultural. The third one encourages us to relinquish our attachment to our money. And that third one is, is what people of faith, mature people of faith, it's a mark of a mature faith that, that you can earn, that you can save, and then that you can be generous and give. Earn, save, and give. Because you remember what I said up front? To thrive financially is less about attaining money and more about ambivalence towards money. It's less about having a big bank account and more about how little you care about such things. All right, so back to our two guys, John and Jack. John, all of his wealth and all of his money and his three luxury cars in the garage sounds nice, doesn't it, Tom? You're a car guy. Sounds nice, doesn't it? But all of that money couldn't keep his wife of 40 years from dying of cancer. So a few weeks after his wife died, the young pastor went to visit John in his beautiful home, and the young pastor was kind of like, wow, this is a nice place. Wow, look at those cars and that boat, my goodness. And trying to offer a little humor, the young pastor said to John, John, you know, anytime you need me to house sit or, you know, drive your boat or your cars, just let me, give me, my, give me a call. And John said to the young pastor, something she will never forget. 
He said, you know, I used to think that the good life was owning all of these things. Turns out all these things, they just own me. This is the story of John. What about Jack? Panhandling outside the church, eventually going to church, eventually joining the church. What happened to Jack? Well, one night, the pastor of that church was sitting in the parsonage with his family, where he lived with his wife and his two kids, and they were sitting down to dinner, and they heard a rap at the door. And so the pastor got up and opened the door, and to his surprise, there stood Jack. Of course, the pastor's first thought is, oh, no, Jack needs money again. But Jack was holding this, this plastic grocery bag, and it was weighted down with something. And Jack held it out to the pastor with the biggest grin you've ever seen. And Jack said, hey, preacher, here's my tithe for the week. And it turns out that in that bag were quarters and dimes and nickels and pennies, apparently a a tenth of what he had collected on the street that week. And the pastor's first thought was to not receive it because he knew that Jack needed that money more than the church needed it. But then he remembered that Jack needed to give that money. Jack's soul needed to give that money. This is the story of Jack. So what does it mean to thrive financially? Is it the big house with all the cars and the boat and the passport? Is that what it means? Or is it to live a life where you're not so attached and you're not so consumed that you can give of what the Lord has given to you? And it may sound like this is a stewardship sermon, and it actually isn't so much. This is a sermon about well-being because I care about your well-being. I care about my family's well-being. And we, many of us are so attached to wealth, to money, to striving, to the, to the endless striving, earning and spending and earning and spending. So how about you? How attached are you to your wealth? If you had a scale from 1 to 10, and 1 was your extremely attached, like consumed with the earning and spending, earning, and 1 is like, yeah, I could care less. I could live like Jack. No big deal. Where are you on that scale? How attached are you? And through the lens of faith, can you begin to rewire, reprogram your relationship with money to recognize that it's not about what we have. It's about who we serve. And may you serve God well. Thanks for tuning in to the Clergy Chick Podcast. Until next time, keep on shining.